You are listening to The Bell Post. Welcome to our next episode of our podcast. On today's episode, we have a special guest from Harris County, from Houston. We have Andy Kahn from the Houston Crime Stoppers. Thank you for coming. Hey, great to be here, Ken. Fascinating, great subject we're talking about. Well, you know, we've we've known each other for a year or so, and we've worked together on some bell issues. So I've kind of we've known I've known of you for a while, but it's great to spend time with you and and to highlight these very important stories. And today we're going to talk about a couple of the real world consequences of the. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you how I got to where we are right now, and this was actually almost about two years ago. Uh, two years ago, I started noticing a trend amongst defendants charged with murder in Harris County that many of them had been repeatedly released on felony bonds, or they were given a felony PR, get out of jail free card, or they were on bond and they forfeited. And I just started documenting these cases. And right now I'm up to 166 people that have been allegedly murdered by a defendant on one of those three categories. And the criteria was very important. So for example, if you were out on one felony bond and you were charged with murder, you didn't make that list. It had to be multiple or a PR bond or bond forfeiture. And of that 166, 127 since 2020. Wow. Okay, so how did we get here? I know you saw this trend, but what's what was causing this trend? Well, it's 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 a combination. If you look at the the data that we've analyzed. You had first, you had a combination. You had the O'Donnell decision in Harris County, which basically turned misdemeanor defendants basically just scot-free for the most part with, with some few exceptions. The felony district court judges <clears throat> who are not under a court order, there is no court order, to have basically taken it upon themselves in what we call discretionary felony bond. And they've kind of taken themselves to either set extremely low bonds or in many cases, a felony PR bond, which we were actually finding on many of these cases. So the data that uh, was presented at several of the legislative hearings clearly indicate that the amount of defendants released on bond charged with additional crimes in Harris County have doubled in the last few years. And the amount of defendants given a PR bond for, for violent offenses have quadrupled since 2018. And we've seen cases with seven, eight, nine. I've seen, we did one story with a guy on 12 bonds for aggravated robbery with a deadly weapon. Now, my first inclination was, dude, you're not very good at this because you keep getting caught. And second, in order to rack up 12K, you got to be out here to do it. So I just... Uh, this whole mindset, we supported some of the measures of criminal justice reform, and some of it was desperately needed. We get that. But it turned, it went from one side to the entire opposite side, where we just felt everybody should be released, no matter what their background was, no matter what their circumstances was, and no matter how many times they committed an offense. And it's wrecked havoc in Harris County. If you look at our homicide rates, in 2021, they went up 70% since 2019. And I thought 2021 was bad. And I was hoping 22 was going to be better. And it's actually worse. We're actually either number one or number two, depending on any given day of leading the nation 
in the amount of homicides. And that's not a good place to be. You don't want to be number one there. You know, I, I look at the O'Donnell reforms and I look at how, you know, we're starting with misdemeanors and it's kind of bled out to the uh, felonies as well. But you look at the um, you know misdemeanor reform and you look at it and you go, well, we have no gatekeepers. And it seems like we have a, a, a disagreement among our politicians. We have a monitor that's hired by the county to defend the settlement saying, oh, it's working. It's working great. And then we have the district attorney issuing a report saying, it's not working. Recidivism is increasing greatly. And then you have the monitor saying, oh, they're just lying. And so we, why, why do we have this situation where we can't even agree whether it's working or not? You know, Ken, and you've been around and I've been around. I've been going up to legislative sessions since 1993. And normally, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, normally when there's a bill that's going to be heard, especially in government, usually the government is in sync. This was the first time in my life in my career, I ever heard one entity of the county, which was the district attorney's office, supporting the bond reform legislation and Harris County Commissioner's Court sending someone up to testify against it. So you had opposing sides from the same county and the person that was testifying on behalf of Commissioner's Court made some very interesting comments that we highlighted. And he basically said, you know, if you pass such a bill, it will lead to greater incarceration by working class people of color. My first thought was if I'm a working class person of color, I'm highly offended to begin with. Did you think that this is where I'm going to end up? And second thing, what I, I always, you always hear people talking about the cost factors. It's going to cost this much, the key. And, but I never hear anybody talk about the cost of victimization. Have you? No, no. Well, no one no one talks of when a family loses a loved one who, let's say, might be the breadwinner of the family and they were murdered and you no longer have that income coming in. No one talks about what happens with that family. Nobody talks about what happened when someone goes into a convenience store and shoots the clerk who lives but now has years of medical bills and expenses and has nobody talks about any of that. And that's why we decided we were going to bring these stories of families who have suffered what I call victims of the Harris County bond pandemic, we were going to start talking about their stories because that's who deserves to be heard. I agree. I could not agree more. We have people that have been real victims here to be highlighted. But, you know, I just point out one thing that just really kind of irritates me on on the misdemeanor monitors report. We've got someone saying that we've gone from a 30% dismissal rate on misdemeanors to almost a 68% dismissal rate of all misdemeanor cases filed. And they're citing that as proof that the system is working, that the new reforms are working. And I'm like, do you, this just shows you don't know, know anything about bail or criminal justice, because if I am dismissing 68% of the cases filed, that tells you that the criminal justice system is so overloaded, it's, it's being shut down. It, it can't function. And the only way it can try to save itself is they're dismissing almost over 60% of the cases pending. And, and they're saying, oh, this is evidence that it's working. No, it's evidence that it is crumbling. And that's why you have to look on these cases on a case-by-case merit system instead of Lumby. But it fits a narrative, and that's the narrative that, that they have to have. And that's why when Crime Stoppers kind of took it upon themselves to embark on this project, which I'll give kudos to Crime Stoppers for, for doing this and allowing me to take on this issue, because no one, else, no one else was doing this. No one else was documenting. And we're, I'm just one person. and I'm able to keep up with the murders 
and that's it. But I shudder to think what the other offenses must be like, the ag robberies, the other, you know, the other felonies that we just cannot keep up with how many times that has been accounted for by repeatedly releasing people, especially on a PR bond scenario. Well, you've got a board of, of, you know, when I look at it in my mind, I see a pitch, a board of 166 pitchers and each one of those pitchers represents a story. And there's so many other that aren't even on the board, but, you know, like I said, keep in mind, that's just what we know. Yeah. Because you have hundreds and hundreds of unsolved murders. So the reality is that list is only going to continue to grow. And the growth factor that we've seen, particularly since 2020, is astronomical. And you keep in mind, you know, some of the, you know, there were 17 of those victims were domestic violence. Three of the victims were unborn children. There were certain courts that did stand out, and there are certain courts that we never heard of. And that's really, you know, how it should be honest. But some of the cases that we looked and we highlighted are just, a mind blowing. And I don't, I just don't know how you justify some of the decision-making other than the fact that this is part of the new norm that they want. And all of a sudden, you know, we're pointing these things out here and for this election cycle in Harris County, and I'm sure it's in other parts of the state as well, but not as prominent in Harris County, there's only one issue in this race and that's crime. And for the first time, to my knowledge, you had incumbent judges who were running for re-election who actually had a majority of them at primary opponents. I mean, you and I know that normally if you're a sitting judge, you're going to get a free ride to the general election. And this for the first, you had a, a lot of judges that had opponents within their own primary. Yeah. And that's pretty telling because you don't normally see that. And some of the sitting judges actually lost in a primary, which normally doesn't happen, but that tells you the effect of the crime in Harris County. Well, I think, you know, the polling for, for, for that side of the, of the spectrum must be really bad for them to come out with stories saying, oh, we have experts who say they lost, but it wasn't because of crime. It wasn't, that wasn't the issue that, that defeated them. So I'm like, uh, wink, wink, nod, nod, yeah, yeah, whatever. Well, let's, let's talk about some of these real stories that just are, are heart-wrenching. The first one that we're going to talk about is Miss Rosalie Cook. You know, I was aware of that when it happened because uh, we were monitoring those same, same type situations. And this is just one of those that just, uh, if, if it doesn't boil your blood, if it just doesn't make you mad uh, to take action, nothing will. When I go and do my talks, and we do a lot of community, this is the first case I talk about. Rosalie was was your everyday 80-year-old grandma. She just, your normal grandma that loved her grandkids and lived in, lived in Houston all her life. So 80-year-old Rosalie Cook is out of Walgreens in the middle of the day on a Saturday in a very, you know, I wouldn't say affluent, but it's a very decent part of town. So she's just coming out of Walgreens and going to her car and she runs into this individual who then accosts her, tries to rob her, tries to take her car, and he ends up stabbing her to death in the middle of a parking lot. And so when we start looking, when we we got wind of the case and we started looking at the background of the defendant, I mean, literally, Ken, I'm looking at four to five pages of documented criminal history, and we added it all up, 
there were over 60 convictions. And that was just in Harris County. We didn't even look at the other counties. And then what really got our attention was despite the 60, over 60 convictions, he was given not one, but two felony PR bonds. I don't know how you justify giving someone with that lengthy criminal history a PR bond to begin with. Not so they give him the PR bonds and he's told to go live in this assisted living facility as part of his uh, conditions, which he did for one day. He walks out of the facility. Randy Lewis, the defendant's name, walks out. Nobody does anything. Nobody reports it to the courts. Nobody reports it to whoever was supposed to be monitoring him in Harris County pretrial. Nobody reports that, hey, this guy basically, for all intents and purposes, escaped from where. So for two weeks, he's on the line. Nobody knows anything. And then he stumbles into Rosalie Cook. So there were so many disturbing at and no one wanted everybody punted on who was responsible. Everybody is saying, well, and I'm going, well, first of all, my first question was, why, why are you giving a guy like that a PR bond? That was number one. Number two, when he walked out of the house, whose responsibility was it? to notify the court and maybe they would have issued a warrant and maybe he would have been picked up before he ran and nobody, well, we don't, I said, well, there has to be a protocol. There has to be some sort of, op- no, nothing like this. And so I got to know Rosalie's son, Chuck, and I got to know Chuck and his wife very well. Beautiful people, super people. They've been, they've uh, appeared at some, a lot of our Crime Stoppers functions. They've done a lot of uh, local media on their frustrations with the with the court system and particularly the PR bond. It was my understanding that Mitch Cook was at Walgreens just to pick up a Christmas, I mean, a birthday card. Correct. Yeah, you are absolutely, yeah. yeah. I know you said that they've kind of come out and they've uh, been with Crime Stoppers. I know you are a support group for them. Um, can you describe how, how this has impacted them? I mean, I know I would never dream I'd be talking about, you know, the death of my loved one at, the, at these you know, here's. You know, Chuck is 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 an engineer. He lives out out in Sealy, and he gets this phone call from hell. Frankly, and there's just no other way to sugarcoat it. He finds out what happened. He said, "He goes, this is my 80 year old. This is my mom. No one should die like this, and no one, especially under." And, and you know, the more he kept finding out, the more, and rightfully so, upset he began because, as I like to say. Rosalie Cook was a victim of the Harris County bond pandemic. It's a tragedy what happened to her, but it was so utterly preventable because you had a career habitual violent felon who pretty much, we all knew with that many, you, this, this is what you're going to do. And we just let them out. Well, and this was even before COVID too, wasn't it? Right. No, before- this was, this was in May of 20. Okay. So it was right at the beginning. It was COVID right. So March. it did so it, it was a couple of months yeah, later. Right. And then it didn't get a, a lot of the attention that it should have gotten because you had COVID and then you had the George Floyd murder going on at the same time. So mm-hmm. it really wasn't covered. It got what I call a daily news blur, but there were a lot of issues. Well, but she's lived on, I mean, oh. through uh, Houston Crime Stoppers telling her story, which needs to be told. And I know we tell her story too, because this is a situation that, I mean, if you can't feel safe going to Walgreens, then where can you feel and that's, safe? And that's the problem that we're having in Harris County. You can't go to the store. You can't go to a bank and wonder if you're going to be followed. 
You can't go to a restaurant because we've had cases where the people follow home. We had an off-duty New Orleans police sergeant that was murdered five o'clock in, in the afternoon at an upper scale restaurant in the Galleria area who was sitting outside with his friends and the individuals that came up and tried to rob him of his jewelry shot and killed him. And one of the defendants charged in his murder was on five felony bonds in 2021. His bond revoked, reinstated, and you know the drill. You just, they just kept spitting them out to do that. So the domino effect that we've seen on people's lifestyles here is, is troubling in itself. Well, it, you know, you look at what's going on in Houston and you go, it just can't get any worse than that. But you, then you go to California and you see where they have decriminalized misdemeanor crime, essentially, as long as it's below $950. And you have these people that are just... I mean, you see organized crime putting out the call on, you know, social media, come to this shopping center and they, they, they go in with hammers and they steal what they can. They run out. And then a day later, they're selling it in a market, you know, a, a little market you know, two blocks over. And well, you, have, you have some elected officials that will actually pander to the criminal element by saying, well, perhaps they need this stuff more than. And I'm like, this is these businesses in a community that are making a living. And I talked to the business community in here and I can't tell you some of them have been broken into so many times. And because we label it as a nonviolent crime, because there quote, wasn't a weapon used, but trust me, and I'm, I'm sure you would agree with me, actually property offenders generally wreck more havoc on a community than do most. Most people don't go around killing people as a career but people will break into your home, break into your car and break into your businesses as a career. And we've kind of just opened it up for them. Senator Whitmire told me, you know, maybe four years ago, maybe six years ago, you know, we should only be putting the people in jail that we're scared of, not the people we're mad about. And, you know, in this time period from then to now, it seems like we have a lot of people that have listened to that message and they're thinking, well, I'm going to see how mad I can make them and not go to jail because they've gotten that message that, Hey, the lesson is I can do whatever I want. As long as I don't make them mad, I don't make, make, make them scared of me. It's, you know, it's basic economics. One-on-one is risk versus rewards. Right now there's very, very little risk of, of being a career criminal. And there's many rewards for it. Cause even if you're caught yeah. local law enforcement will tell you, particularly in Harris County, they'll laugh at you and say, I'll be out in a few hours. And they're right. Well, and you look at Randy Lewis, I know he's like 38 years old. He had been arrested over 70 something times. And as you pointed out, over 60 convictions and many of them felons. So he, he is a person that under our Texas Constitution, he could be denied bail. And uh, and not only was he not denied bail, he was giving two P, felony PR bonds. That means that his family wasn't helping him anymore. That they I've written him off. And so no one was calling a bonding company to get him out of jail. And so the judge thought, well, we still want him out. So we're going to give him two PR bonds. That doesn't make sense. With his criminal record, I mean, think about it. He's, he's got more than double his age in criminal arrests or arrests. How is that even possible? Well, the old adage is you can't accumulate such a record unless you're out here to do it. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to be here to rack up, you know, that many. And that goes back to the, the one we do with the aggravated. You have to be out here to do it to get that many arrests and that many convictions to begin with. So, I mean, so, 
some of the stuff that I've seen, I've been doing this 30 some odd years and I've never seen the stuff that I'm seeing right now. And it's just, well, you know, we've met at the legislature with all the stakeholders, you know, and, you know, people that you just go, why are we meeting with this group? And, you know, they're net, we're never going to be on the same page, but you know, there's right, uh, right on crime people, you know, the Doug Deasons of the world who, who are like, well, we need to give people a second chance. We believe in second chances. And I'm like, Hey, we agree with that a hundred percent, but the Randy Lewis's of the world is we're not talking about second chance. We're not talking about third. We're not talking about four. We're not even talking about 10. We're not even talking about 20. I mean, this guy's on his 70 something chance. When is he ever going to cross a red line for us? And that's what we've made it quite clear from Crime Stoppers that we have no issue with someone getting out on a single bond. We get that. You're entitled to that. But where we draw the line is what we're seeing is the repetitive releases. Absolutely. Time and time again. That's where we kind of draw the line. And that's what we're seeing is so, so many of the, you know, we had yesterday, I think you were at the hearing and uh, the sheriff says they're shocked when, you know, if, if they don't arrest somebody that he's not out on bond. And I said, that's actually a bigger story is when someone has it taken into custody that they either A, they're not on bond or B, they're not on a forfeit or something of that nature because it's so commonplace right now. We had this hearing yesterday or this uh, Belmont board meeting yesterday. And I, I would say I, I was a little bit surprised you know, by some of the things the sheriff said too, because he sounds so reasonable when he says, oh, we, this is just one of a, of, of a multitude of problems that we need to address, but, uh, but they're not addressing the other things. And you know, the misdemeanor, he says, well, that's required by the constitution. And you go, well, no, the Dave's case just reversed O'Donnell, and that was the whole basis for you, you enter into your settlement. And the Dave's case even questions whether the court has jurisdiction on these cases. And so you could even argue that they should vacate the O'Donnell uh, consent decree because they didn't have jurisdiction to enter it. But he's not even talking about that. He's saying, well, these are mandated by the Constitution. So he's really saying crime has been mandated to increase because of uh they need to release these people. And that's ridiculous. If Okay, let's just speculate. Let's just say there was a mandated 10%. Yeah. What would that really accomplish? Nothing. No. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a feel-good measure. I get it. But no, is it going to prevent? And, you know, is it going to, you know, result in a reduction of crime? You know, one thing that I looked at when the uh, Houston Chronicle came out with their narrative on the reduction of the bail, which was about what I think six out of 86 some odd companies there. And they had some numbers and I asked them, I said, well, I said, let me ask you a question. I asked the two reporters, have any of those offenders that have been released on a reduced bail, have any of them gone on to reoffend? Because you and I know that you would have had a sidebar story, which would have bolstered your argument yeah. if that was factually true. And they said, well, we, you know, we can't give you our data. And I said, I'm not even asking for your data. I'm asking you a very simple question. Yes or no. Have any of the defendants of the numbers that you cited that have been released on a lower bond reoffended? It's a simple question. Wouldn't answer. The Houston Chronicle is not um, unbiased on this issue. They've bitten, they've bitten into this. They've taken a side. They were all in when they when the county was arguing. They had to settle O'Donnell because they spent eight million dollars in legal fees. They were all in when the county spent a hundred million to implement and and destroy the criminal justice system. 
they're still all in now when they're saying, you know, we'll spend additional 42 million to try to fix the system that we broke. And they're, you know, even when they're on this issue of whether, you know, the real re- reason why crime is increasing because the bondsmen are not charging enough money, you know, they won't even print our side of the story and they'll just pair it back. This cover story. I'll tell you a funny story. I wrote an op-ed uh, about a year and a half ago and I submitted it to the Chronicle and we, you know, we went back and forth revising it. And then they actually agreed to publish it. And the date that it was going to be published, it didn't run. And I just, okay, you know, what, what happened? Well, sorry, we had other, we couldn't, you know, we, so then they said, we're going to print it on this date. So now I've got two dates that they said they were going to publish the op-ed that I wrote on the ramifications of discretionary felony bond reform. Didn't run again. This time I said, look, man, I'm a big boy. I've been around just, you know, to what, well, Mr. Khan, we couldn't fact check the four cases that you highlighted in your piece. This is actually, they put this in writing. And I'm like, first of all, I sent you the documentation. Mm-hmm. Second of all, it's not that difficult yeah. to fact check. And I said, you know what? I don't need, you. I said, you know, again, you didn't fail me. You failed your readers. Yeah. That's who you fail when you fail to give any opposing viewpoints that goes against your narrative. I agree with that. And they really, that, that's, they've let down, uh, they've let down our community because they, they've decided what they should hear instead of laying out the facts. And, and really it's kind of where we are as a society right now, one side, and I'm not saying, you know, it could be both, but one side particularly, they don't know how to respond to arguments anymore. Uh, I mean, you, you know, they just, you make your argument and then they call you a racist or they call you an idiot or they call you stupid. Are they well, calling I was you? called. I was actually called an axe grinding fear monger. Hey, I was there at the court. legislature when they told you you were going to get arrested if you hold, uh, held up your. Oh board. yes, that was that was classic. I couldn't believe that somebody would be stupid enough to do that and say that to you, especially because I mean, it's like I mean, I'm not shy, but I know for a fact you're not shy. Well, I mean, you know, you would listen to the story of Rosalie Cook and you would just say, "Oh, there's no way. That's just got to be one off." There's. There couldn't be another one as bad as that, or of these 166 cases or examples, really. There's just, that's just a one off. That can't be bad. And then, you know, another one that you, you know, that we want to honor today is Summer uh, Chester. Tell, tell us about her. Summer Chester's case is, is even more disturbing to me. And this just hit national news about a month ago. There was an individual named Jonathan Vera who was charged with a capital murder. And he went a home invasion, which is everybody's worst nightmare. And he shot and killed a 55-year-old homeowner in his sleep. And then he shot someone that was trying to flee. So he's taken into custody, charged with capital murder, and he's given a $250,000 bond for capital murder, which he can't make. So he's in Harris County Jail. And while in jail, he gets charged with uh, you know felony uh, harassment of a public servant, in which he chucked a bunch of saliva at one of the jail guards. So he's charged with another felony. Then he racked up over 90 pages worth of infractions of misbe- while in jail. So what does this particular judge do? I, for whatever inexplicable reason, the judge reduces the bond for capital murder from 250 to 50. That I've not seen. Again, capital murder. And again, we're talking about someone who picked up another felony and has 90 pages worth. So, yeah, he gets he makes the 50 grand bond. He's out. And then months later, while speeding, he runs through a red light 
and kills 23-year-old TSU student, Summer Chester, who was working and going to school, college. Local, I mean, just a beautiful smile, you know, and I'm going, Summer Chester paid the price for decisions that simply defy logic. I don't know how you can justify doing that, but the decision that was made by the 351st District Court cost her her life. There's no other way. You can't sugarcoat that. I'm now at the age where, you know, I've gone through this going off to college and and going through that period. And now I've gotten married. I've had kids and I've lived through my daughter, my oldest daughter, going off to college. And, and I remember, I remember distinctly when I went off to college, it was a rough transition for me because I was, you know, off the farm, didn't know anybody at the school. And then the same experience as a parent taking your daughter off to college and, you know, I mean, dropping off your heart, getting through that transition of not seeing your child every day and only talking to them very, you know, once a day when they're home every day, every, you know, whenever you want to, to once a week, a couple of times a week. And then when you get a call saying something like this has happened, I don't know how a parent ever recovers from that. No, I, I, Sir, I'm a board member of the Houston chapter of Parents of Murdered Children and Surviving Family Members of Homicide. I've been with the organization since 1992. And as we like to say, it's the only organization in this country in which someone else writes out your membership for you. No one asked to join POMC. No one wants to be there. But we actually meet the second Tuesday of every month at Crime Stoppers. And I will tell you, the president of the Harris County Bail Bonds Association now sits on the board, Mario Garza. Mario has been attending these meetings yeah. for over a year on his own. And that takes a lot of guts. He does. To does. do that. And I, you know, and I think that's great that we have a dialogue with somebody like that that takes the time to attend these meetings. We finally had an elected official for the first time last month attend. But he's there every month. And I give him all the credit in the world for doing that. You know, we, you know, Mr. Vera, you know, you've kind of highlighted that he was already out on capital murder. I mean, he had a, I would even say a $250,000 bond, a low bond for that. Yeah, and I, I have said that that was pretty low ball bond for a capital murder. Because, I mean, with. under the Texas Constitution, again, that's a crime that you can deny bond. And, and, and it used to be that way. <clears throat> it used to be pretty much because we looked, and I do an awful lot of local media, and, and some of the reporters, I said, have we ever done a story prior to 2018 on a defendant released on a capital murder bond and we're all scratching our head going, no. I said, now we're doing them routinely. There's the last time I looked, there's over 110 defendants on bond for capital murder. And now four of them have now allegedly gone on to kill others. Well, and think about this. I mean, his, his second bite at the apple, his second murder was running somebody over the car, which I would say is bad, but it's nowhere near a home invasion. And he gets a $250,000 bond for a home invasion. And it, and you would have thought, well, on that scale, he would have gotten a really low bond if it had just been his first bite at the apple had been, you know, hitting somebody. I mean, are we now in a situation in Harris County? It's kind of like the dog. You get one bite before you're dangerous. They, you know, murderers get one free murder before they get no bond. That's, you know, that's that's a really good equation, because even the ones that I've documented, over 20 
of the defendants charged with murder who were out on multiple felony bonds or a PR bond have actually been bonded out again. And like I said, you would have thought that would have been the end of the story, right? Yeah. But they're back out again. And we just had another one a few weeks ago that was on bond for murder and other offenses that's now charged with another murder. Well, you know, we look at these, you know, two examples. Of, I mean, I don't they're, even. They're not an anomaly. As I say, it's par for the, it's not an anomaly. It used to be that they would be an anomaly, but it's simply par for the course what's happening here. Well, and you go, you know, who to blame? You know, I've been looking at this issue today because, you know, right now you'll see stories where the judges are starting to come out to try to defend themselves. They're saying, well, this is the DA's fault because, you know, the DA filed a motion to set no bond and, the DA never said it for a hearing or didn't request a hearing. And then you, then you just go, well, wait a minute. Whose job is it to set bail? It's the judge's job to set bail. The judge has the discretion to set bail. And they can get recommendations from the DA. But, I mean, it's the judge's job to set bail. So why are we setting any bail for someone who is arrested for capital murder? Why aren't we just doing what we used to do, set no bail? I mean, why not? That The Constitution allows it. Why doesn't? Why isn't that the practice? Why not? And, that, and that's a great question that no one wants to seem to answer. And that's why I said capital murder is the only offense a judge actually does have discretion. And even that's not happening anymore. Well, and if you look at the Randy Lewis situation, you could say, I mean, I'm going to bet you what happened there was COVID. But because of the delay of COVID, well, then you've got this, you've got some statutes that require if there's a substantial delay, you've got to lower the bond or grant them a PR bond. But it doesn't mandate a PR bond. It says a PR bond or a lower bond. So you've got people who don't know what they're doing or they're, I Again, don't. there's no court order. It's simply, it's discretionary. And Crime Stoppers, along with the district attorney's office and along with the Houston Police Department, we actually had a news conference in October 2019. And we set off the alarm. We warned people what we st- were starting to see. And that was well before you ever heard of the term. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the point, I think that's a great point. And the point I would add to that is before COVID, because of all these misdemeanor reforms, the dockets had doubled. They had already doubled in size. COVID became a very convenient excuse for everybody to blame everything on from justice to COVID. And we, you know, like I said, we're on the record showing no, this was well happening well before COVID. When you look, you know, you heard the, you know, you heard the district attorney talking at the legislature and she's saying, look, our jails are full now. I mean, they're full of very dangerous people and they need to stay there. And so, you know, you could argue maybe, well, maybe they're trying to do budget issues, but they're already shipping people to other jails. I mean, this is this is a public safety pandemic, really. And that's exactly how I've kind of phrased it. And obviously, since I'm dealing with Harris County, I've used the term Harris County bond pandemic. And I'll, I'll stick by that and I'll stand by that as well. And, you know, if you want to, you know, call me all cool, colorful nicknames, you know, that just comes with the territory. But our job, particularly Crime Stoppers, is looking out for public safety and doing we felt it was important for the public to know what exactly was going on in Harris County. And I, you know, my wish is that other cities would kind of emulate what we're doing here. How does this compare to other cities? And I said, 
I don't know. Nobody does it. Nobody documents anything. But you're starting to see, I think there's one other Crime Stoppers group in another town, and I, maybe it's new, somewhere in New York where they started highlighting. I'm like, come oh, yeah. on, seeing what Harris County's doing, because y'all are doing a great job, and it's a job that needs to be done, because Harris County has gone off the rails. I mean, they have broken their criminal justice system. And, and you see these elected officials who are scrambling to make it look like they're doing something. But like this $42 million thing they're going to do, it's just it's an abject failure because what at the first of all, they don't have enough manpower. But but if they did, all we're doing is arresting more people to throw into the cr- broken criminal justice system who are just going to either have their case dismissed or, we're, or we just don't have time to t- take care of their cases. Anyway. Well, our, count, our county judge, who was at the hearing yesterday when I guess they finally realized that you better start talking about crime because it's a huge issue. And that's all. It's like dueling press conferences right now who can out, who can out, outdo each other on, on crime. But she made a comment that kind of stuck with me. And she said, you know, we're going to be going after repeat violent offenders. And my first thought was perhaps that's your real issue to begin with. Yeah. And the question you should be asking, but you won't ask, is why are they repeat violent offenders? And what assurances can you give the public that even if you do arrest them again, they won't be right back out again to repeat? When you want to ask her, what is a repeat offender to you? Where, at what point would Randy Lewis qualify as a repeat offender? Would it be 10 offenses, 20, or would it have to be 80? Because he's not there yet. Because, I mean, it sounds like to me, we've got a whole bunch of repeat offenders running loose and they don't want to admit that they're even repeat offenders. And I would even argue the reforms that they've made have made it such that we've given a green light. They've seen it as a green light that we're going to have to fill up the jail. We're going to have more people in jail for a period of time to get them to realize they're going to be held accountable and they need to do what they're being told to do before it's going to get better. Yeah, this is going to be a long, I mean, there are no quick fixes. It's going to be a long drawn out process and whether or not we can return to some semblance of manageable crime in Harris County, you know, time will tell, but for right now, it's a crisis situation. What's your input on something? Because one of the things that I've been talking about is we just had SB6 pass. The Texas legislature, I think, was impacted by what was going on in Harris County and made several changes to Texas law so that what they're currently doing is no longer in compliance with Texas law. Like starting April 1, you have to review criminal histories before they're released from jail. You know, they don't even do that on the misdemeanor side. And I don't see anything that Harris County is doing to change what they're doing on the misdemeanor side or to even come into compliance with SB6 on reviewing criminal histories before Bell is set. And I don't know how, I mean, I find it hilarious. They're going to go to the next legislature and they're going to say, we need you to pass a bill that regulates what bondsmen charge. But, oh, by the way, we have ignored all of the laws that you passed in SB6 because they're beneath us. <laughs> you might you know, recall, and it's all documented, they actually testified against the legislation, the same ones that are now pushing your, the mandate. And when we tried to get that constitutional amendment passed. Well, I love that. I was arguing, I was thinking, you know, yesterday, that 10% thing that they were talking about is really an end run about wanting more preventative detention. Just right. And uh, it, I was like, all of y'all and all of your supporters voted against it. Uh, so why are you doing this? Because we've got an election coming up and y'all, and I've got guaranteed you've got some polling that says crime is going to be the number one issue and you're not doing much on that. 
and you don't perceive, haven't been perceived to do much on that. So we need to do something quick. <laughs> and so we're going to blame the Bosman again. They're the easy target. Correct. You are the foil. We are the we are, I would say my wife always thought I was cuter than that, but I don't know if she would agree. <laughs> well, so talk to me about where do we go from here? I mean, I mean, this, the answer can't be we just have to elect new judges. I mean, what, what can we do to make this better, quicker rather than later? Well, I think it's going to, like I said, you know, the election cycle in Harris County is focused on one issue, crime. And for the first time, you're actually going to have a focus on judicial elections like you've never seen before. So that's and we've already saw some of the results in the primary. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in November. It's going to be interesting to see what type of legislative measures do get, you know, either, you know, filed and so forth. And it's going to be interesting who's going to support and who's not going to support this session because everybody's on the record now. So, for example, at yesterday, you know, those that were supporting that, you know, I basically said, well, I expect you to support what's going to happen next session. You can't, you know, so it's going to be fascinating to see. But what I tell victims' families, and I've always said this, I can't go back and change what happened to your family, but we've got to make things better for others to come along and you've achieved a lasting legacy. So a lot of the families that I work with are going to be very active in seeking positive changes so that other families don't end up in the same scenario that they found themselves in as a victim of what I call the bond pandemic. You know, if I was the judge of the 351st and, and I looked at, you know, what happened to Summer Chester, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night because I would know that but for my actions, she'd be alive today. I, yeah, you can't, like I said, I, I, I would dare anybody to challenge that that wasn't the responsibility of that particular court. Yeah. that made that decision. And there was no reason to make that decision. There was no valid reason to do that. That's right. I agree with that. There's no reason. And they had a constitutional basis for denying bail. I don't know why they did that. Didn't start with that. I mean, other than it just a political agenda. I mean, you can't say it's anything else but a political agenda. Correct. Andy Kahn, I can't thank you enough for uh, joining me today. Just highlight some of these very important people. I mean, these are people. I mean, it's like um, randomness. Pick them. It's there by the grace of God go you and I. And it's that simple. It could be you and I on any given day or any given time. You just don't know. And so to honor them, we need people to come out and help. We need people to come out and help to right this ship, to make uh, Harris County safe and to make the criminal justice system work for victims, not for defendants. And, um, you know, I, we hope to talk to you again so we can highlight more stories, these, these true life events that are just uh, complete living tragedies, not Shakespearean. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, like I said at yesterday's hearing, I said, I hope we get more and more concerned citizens that yeah. do start attending these meetings and do understand what families are going through. And it, 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 make, it makes you question a lot of things. All right. Well, thank, thank you so much for coming. You bet. My pleasure. Take care, Ken. Thank you for listening and come back for the next episode of The Bell Post.